That was close. Almost lost my table. That would not have gone well. All right. Glad y'all are here. My name is Rick Ivey. I'm the senior pastor. If you're visiting with us today, we're glad that you're here. And uh, we are starting a new sermon series called uh, Baby Steps. And today is talking about gravity. Um, well, if you are a parent or have you ever been a child, around a child who has uh, been learning how to walk, it is one of the coolest things. I still remember uh, when my daughters were learning how to walk. Uh, you get so excited because they go from just rolling around on the floor to slowly sitting up, and then they start trying to stand a little bit, and then they take their first steps, and, and you get all kinds of excited, and then reality sets in, right, that now they can get into everything, right? And, uh, but it's such a joyful thing to watch, and uh, whether they realize it or not, uh, they are up against gravity. That's what they're struggling against. And those first couple steps are difficult and they're hard, uh, but eventually they are not only walking, they're running, they're sprinting, they're dancing and enjoying everything that they can. Uh, but gravity is always there. It's always present. And today we are talking about a particular passage in the book of Romans in which Paul describes a different force at work in the world. And he is going to cover something that you could describe as the human condition, the, the way that we are. And if you've ever tried to make sense of life, then this particular chapter is really helpful. If you've ever thought to yourself, why are things the way that they are? If you've ever struggled with uh, the deeper question of why am I the way that I am? Then Romans chapter 7 is just a beautiful explanation of it. It's not cheerful, but it's helpful. Uh, it's kind of it's very detailed. Paul had a lot of time on his hands because he was in prison when he was writing this. Uh, it's very detailed. It's kind of like reading the description of a bottle of medicine you got. You know, it's got all these things that are there, and you know the medicine's good for you, but you're like, well, if it works, good. I'm not going to read that right now. But if you ever go back and you read them, or if you are wanting to know a little bit more about why people are the way they are or how things go. Uh, Romans chapter 7 is just a beautiful passage. And the reason I, I wanted to share it with you is because uh, what I have seen and what I have found as a pastor is that many times people don't really know where to start when it comes to their faith. You know, even if they have been a Christian a long time, there's moments in our lives where we don't really know what to do next. We don't really know what the next step might be. It may be that you came here today and you know good and well that you are far from God. Maybe things were good between you and God, things were close between you and God, and now God seems really, really distant. God seems far off. You were once really in love with God and now you're indifferent, you know? Uh, you're kind of going through the motions, and it's been a while since you really felt like God was near to your life. There's an Old Testament passage in which God leaves the area, God leaves the temple, and God instructs the people of Israel. He says, write Ichabob over the doorframe. And I'd, I'd never heard Ichabob outside of Sleepy Hollow, and so it was kind of a strange passage. I said, well, you know, but it basically it was like God saying, I'm leaving the building, I'm out of here, you know. And I think there's times in people's lives where they feel the same way that God just up and leaves. God moved, and they didn't follow. 
Or it may be that you're in a different place, you know. You, you're new to Christ. God's been doing great things in your life. And you feel like maybe it is time for you to begin a new passage, a new chapter in your life, a new time, a new moment. And you're kind of searching and wondering, well, what would be the next thing? And so those are the two reasons that I wanted to share with you this passage. And if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Romans chapter 7. We'll start in verse 15. It'll be on the screen. You can also pull it up on your phone, uh, but don't check Facebook while you're doing that. All right. Romans chapter 7, verse 15, very famous verse, but still one of the best. And this is Paul writing, and Paul's talking about his life. If you ever want to have a good debate with a preacher, just say, is Paul talking about his life in the here and now, or is Paul talking about his life before Christ? I mentioned that in the first service, and I had one sweet lady come up to me and she said, I have a completely different interpretation of that scripture. So you may too, but here's the real one. (laughs) Verse 15, I don't know what I'm doing because I don't do what I want to do. Instead, I do the thing that I hate. But if I'm doing that thing that I don't want to do, I'm agreeing that the law is right. But now I'm not the one doing it anymore. Instead, it's sin that lives in me. I know the good doesn't live in me, that is, in my body. The desire to do good is inside me, but I can't do it. I don't do the good thing that I want to do, but I do the evil that I want to do. But if I do the very thing that I do want to do, then I'm not the one doing it anymore. Instead, it is sin that lives in me that is doing it. And so, like I said, it's a really helpful passage because you and I have probably gotten to places in our lives where we look back and we said, why did we do that? You know? Why did I say that? Why did I follow through on that? And you tell yourself, you know, you you knew better. You knew that wasn't the right thing. And then Paul also illustrates that, and he says, but there's also the situation in our lives where we know the right thing, and then we, we don't follow through. You know, we're very clear. We're like, this would be the thing that would honor God. This would please God. This would make... God happy, this would help that person, and yet we don't do anything about it. And Paul says, you know, over and over again in his life and his experience, you know, he's, he's known good and well from an early age, the difference between right and wrong. We assume he grew up in a household where he was taught that, and yet he's now in this particular passage, and he's saying, and yet I still find myself struggling with this. It's still the, the situation that I find myself in. And he, he even talks about, you know, I know the good that I'm supposed to do, and I even want to do it. And yet, I don't follow through. I don't, I don't complete the action that God wants me to do. And, um, and he even says, you know, that he wants to. Many people, I think, and there's even times in my life where I don't want to, you know. My want to is broken. I don't want to do the good thing, and that needs to be fixed too. So that's his description. He says that's, that's kind of the human condition. Even in the times where we know the difference between right and wrong, or we know the good thing or the God thing, we find ourselves struggling to follow through on it, to do that thing. Uh, in verse 17, it says, But now I'm not the one doing it anymore. Instead, it's sin that lives in me. I know that the good doesn't live in me, that is in my body. The desire to do good is inside me, but I can't do it. I don't do the good thing that I want to do, but I do the evil that I want to do. But if I do the very thing that I, want, I don't want to do, then 
I'm not the one doing it anymore. Instead, it is sin that lives in me that is doing it. So, I find that as a rule, when I want to do what is good, evil is right there with me. I gladly agree with the law on the inside, but I see a different law at work in my body. Okay, so all of chapter 7, Paul has this really beautiful description of human condition, and one of the things he lifts up is the law. And he's not only talking about the Ten Commandments, uh, he's also talking about the other laws that have been uh, designed and outlined in his day and age, around 600 more of them. And um, he says, you know, a lot of people have trouble with the law. They think that that is not something that should be taught or something that should be instructed. You know, they, they really struggle with it. Or they look at it and they go, well, nobody can live up to that, so why would we even bother? And Paul says, you know, in other places, he says, well, then, you know, is the law just no good? Or is it no help at all? He says, no. He says, you know, the law is so good to me, it's so helpful for me because it actually shows me the brokenness in my life, the places in my life that can be improved or could be changed. He says, that, that really is a huge blessing, you know, because it, it tells me the things that are the problem. You know, he begins the discretion, you know, he says, you know, what, what's going wrong with me? What, what's the problem? Why, why do I do these things or I don't do these things? And he says he's thankful for the law because the law said, here's one of the reasons. Here's one of the problems. You know? And um, it can be hard for us to get the, our heads around that, though. Sometimes we look at the law and we say, is it really that helpful? But Paul, in this particular passage, he says, the law was helpful because it, it taught me about what was right and wrong. And he says, I would have never thought of some of these things as a problem, like coveting. Early in chapter 7, he says, the law taught me about coveting. And we would describe that as wanting something that other people have that we don't have, coveting. That uh, when we look across the street and we say, my neighbor has a better house than I do, a bigger boat, or whatever the case might be, uh, we look across that and we say, man, if I just had that, then I would be happy, and God really has failed me because I don't have it, right? And uh, as humans, especially as Americans, we look at coveting and we'd say, yeah, but 99% of our economy is based on coveting, church. I mean, that's what marketing is, isn't it? Hey, look, there's this really cool person on TV. They have this product, and if I had that product, I would be cooler as well, right? And I can resolve that problem with just three easy payments of 1995, right? <laughs> and Paul says, hey, we would never have seen it. We would never have recognized it. We wouldn't have named it. But thanks to the law, we have an understanding of why that's a problem. You know, the problems that are caused by that kind of living, that we're always looking across the street and going, oh, if I just had what they had, or if I could just do what they do, or if somehow Pinterest would come real in my life, you know? And Paul says, but it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to help me. You know, I, I know what the problem is, but I couldn't fix it. This uh, past week, uh, this past weekend, uh, my daughter was running a fever and um, I think she's getting better now, but um, look at my wife. She's getting any better? Yes, okay. Uh, but she was running a fever. She's not contagious, so y'all can shake my hand safely later. Uh, but she was running a fever, and I was thinking about this particular passage, and, and I was thinking, 
Uh, this is kind of what it's like, you know, with the law and us. I could go into her room and I could tell her, you're running a fever? You're not supposed to run a fever. Quit it, right? I mean, that's what we do with the law many times. It says clearly you're not supposed to do this. Stop it, right? And then I could go on. I could expound upon that. I could say, look, you are achy. God doesn't want you to be achy. You are um, doing all kinds of things. The, I can't do this. I have to stop at this point. Uh, I don't want to get myself in trouble. But y'all could go along these lines. I could go in there. I could tell her to quit doing certain things that she has no particular control over because she's sick. And this is what Paul is outlining and what he's saying. He's saying that the law was good at telling me what I should not do, and yet it could not help me quit. And he goes on in this particular passage. He says, but um, so that as the rule, when I want to do what is good, evil is right there with me. I gladly agree with the law on the inside, but I see a different law at work in my body. It wages a war against the law in my mind and takes me prisoner with the law of sin that is in my body. I'm a miserable human being. Who will deliver me from this dead corpse? Thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So when we read through this passage, we find a a few things that are really important to think about. Uh, The first and, and foremost is that when Paul says, you know, I know what's right, but I don't do it, or I know what's good, and I, I don't do it, uh, he says that it's more than just a, a problem of, of knowledge. It's more than a problem of information. Um, he, he points toward and he says, it, it's a problem of, of sin working against me. Okay. And, um, but he also, in that, that beautiful passage toward the end of this, uh, he says, thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I'm a slave to God's law in my mind, but I'm a slave to sin's law in my body. And like I said, you know, it's sometimes hard to, to get across. But when I look at this passage, I, I see Paul hopeful, you know. And as we read on into Romans chapter 8, one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible, we find Paul expressing and he's saying, you know, this is what the Spirit does. This is how the Spirit helps. This is what God does in my life. But at this particular point, he's saying, you know, but it's also the reality that I have this struggle with temptation and sin as well. And when I think about this passage, I I think about, you know, the dangers that we face in life, the temptations that we face, the things that we deal with. But in Jesus Christ, we are given the tools and the ability to overcome. And Paul says, yeah, but that temptation, those sins are still real. And the image that kept coming to my mind when I think about that, that dilemma of being a Christian and yet still having temptation and sin in my life uh, it reminded me of like if you were to cage a lion, right? You know, the lion is still a very real threat. No matter how many times the trainer tells you it's tame and it's safe, as long as it has teeth and claws, it's still a threat, right? Church, don't have to mention Siegfried, right? It's still a threat. And that if you put your hand in the cage, you may lose your hand, Right? And this is how I kind of look at this passage, is to say that it is something that is contained. It's something that God has power over. It's something that God has given a victory over, and yet it's still very real. And that's how I think Paul describes his life at that point in time. He's saying, I I know what God is doing. I can see clearly how God has saved me and delivered me and changed my life and transformed me. And I don't 
have to be afraid of it, but I have to recognize it and say it's still something that's there. So he says the, the struggle is still, still very real. But he also is very thankful. And he's thankful for what Christ has done. And for me, this whole passage kind of pivots and begins to change and go into a different direction when Paul gets here because he's also saying, I'm thankful for what Christ has done. I'm thankful for the love that God has shown me in Jesus Christ. And we think about how do we go from being people who feel like God is far off and distant or not really wanting to serve God uh, to being people who are on fire and excited about God. It all begins in that first step, in that first moment where we recognize and we see that God loves us and that God cares for us and that God has created us in amazing ways. When I was uh, growing up, I still remember very clearly, you know, my mom really wanted me to learn how to play violin, and she would have to stay on me to practice and to work at it. I'm very thankful that I know how to play violin, but at the time, you know, it was pretty difficult. It's probably hard for her as well to keep pushing me and telling me to practice and to do those things, and I thought about that today in comparison to the things that I love to learn and the things that I love to do when I was growing up. Like, she never had to tell me to go play basketball. I would go play, I would go practice, I would work at the game. It was something that I enjoyed and that I cared about. And when we think about our life with God, that's very similar. As we learn to love God and know that God loves us, we will do the things that we are called to do. Rather than it being a grueling discipline, it becomes something that we lose track of time in, that we enjoy, that we celebrate because we come to know God more and more and we know God's love more and more. There, uh, there is also another piece to this, and that is the, the thing that I've, I've mentioned, that even in those times where you and I are struggling, where we are hurting, where temptation is very real in our lives, uh, where sin gets the better of us, perhaps, it, you need to remind yourself that that's not the end of the story. You need to tell yourself that God has claimed you, that God has made you his own, that you are part of, of the kingdom of God because of what God has done in Jesus Christ. And to not be discouraged or to be in despair because of that, but to be assured that God is there with you and that God cares for you. And ultimately, even though chapter 7 is a struggle and that it can be a little discouraging, uh, it is one that has a lot of grace to it as well. There is a, uh, a pretty famous pastor named Tony Evans, and I thought he, he really put it well when we were talking about this particular passage. He said, uh, you know, the difference between being a person who is struggling with sin and a person who has received the grace of God is the difference between two types of dogs. He says there's two types of dogs. There's sin dogs and there's grace dogs, okay? And if you've ever come home and found your dog to be in sin, you know what it looks like, right? Right? They tuck their tail under them, they look ashamed, they look to the side, they won't make eye contact with you, right? And uh, you know that they have done something wrong. And he says, that, that's what a sin dog looks like, you know? That's what a person that's struggling with sin, the same thing, they're ashamed, they're not enjoying their life, they're afraid of what's going to happen next. And he said, but then there's also grace dogs. And if you've ever had one of these, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You come home, you open the door, and they meet you at the door with their tail wagging, and they're excited because you're there. 
and yet you know that they have probably destroyed your living room, right? And yet they're still excited and they're happy because of grace. They know that you care about them and that you love them and that the master loves them dearly. And he says that's a different way of living our lives. God knows the mistakes that we make. God knows the problems that we have, the struggles that we have. And yet he invites us to come and meet him and enjoy and to celebrate the life that we have been given. And there is no description as to what to do with cats because they do what they want, right? But there are two types of dogs. Think about where you are in your own life and about what God wants for you. So today, as you think about the upcoming week and the things that you have in front of you and what you believe God would want you to do, I just encourage you to take that first step. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, the, uh, the struggle of our lives is, is right in front of us, especially in Romans chapter 7. This dilemma of having information and having knowledge and maybe even wanting to follow you more deeply or to know you more deeply, and yet not being able to, to accomplish it on our own. So gracious God, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And we lift up to you those people that are here today and are maybe just ourselves, that we long to know more of you. We need to have your spirit come and fill our hearts this day because we know that without you, we can't find the joy that you want us to have. Help us in this time to receive your grace and your mercy. To know that no matter what has happened or what mistake we have made, you love us. You love us so, so dearly. Help us to fix our minds on that fact that you are madly in love with each of us. And God, we pray also for those that are ready to take another step. Those that are going to be serving you in a greater capacity. That are going to be finding ways to speak your words of truth to those people around you. And uh, Lord, all these things we pray and ask in Jesus' name.